you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm just thinking about Carol Baskin. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about today. Don't tease not. the people. I know it's not, but I just, I'm thinking about, we watched the final Tiger King episode that Joel McHale did the other day. And did it live up to everything you wanted it to be? I giggled. I guess that's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> the fact that I have any emotions left at all is amazing. So, yes. That's true. Yes. All right. Well, we'll get to talking about that eventually. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. In the meantime. Anywho. What are we talking about? Um, We're talking about how I have to sneeze. And I'm really trying to like keep it away but i think it's gonna happen it's all I right can feel it let it rip coming in the air tonight ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. <laughs> and it's gone okay <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst feeling in the world i, I know it. i like it's still locked and loaded but it's just jammed in the chamber <laughs> so we're gonna leave it it's gonna um, it's gonna come out mid-episode yes no it is it's gonna come out and be like and so and so dies <laughs> true yeah <laughs> Okay, so, so, um, anyway, so, yeah, um, last week I found this very funny. I made a point about Dr. Jack Kevorkian and how he killed a bunch of people, completely yep. not thinking about how today's episode, this week's episode, was on Dr. Jack Kevorkian and how he killed a bunch of people. It was probably just like in your head because you were doing it the was. research for it. So it really was, and I wasn't yeah. really thinking about it. And then after the fact, literally. Today, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Look at how good I am setting up the next episode. Oh, yeah, sure. That's it. <laughs> Look at us. Who would have thought? Um, not me. Not me. Uh, all right. So hopping right into it. Yeah. So Dr. Jack Kevorkian was born Mirad Kevorkian on May 26, 1928. He was a maybe mm-hmm. in Pontiac, Michigan. He was the middle child of three kids, and their parents, Levon and Satanig, were refugees who escaped the Armenian massacres during, like, right after World War One. Mm-hmm. So Levon was smuggled out of Turkey by missionaries in 1912 Whoa. and made his way to Pontiac, Michigan. Don't know why he chose Pontiac, but okay. I'm sure um, if you're a refugee, you don't really have a lot of pull. Yeah, but it's what I'm saying is it's not like it's. What's the word that I'm looking for? Like, you know how most people either land first in New York or California, oh, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. they go from there. That's why I'm saying I wonder why it ended maybe, up being Maybe Michigan. there was, like, a landing spot in between, and then he just got placed Yeah, that's what there. I'm saying. I wonder how that came to be. But I digress. Go on. Um. So then he found work at an automobile foundry. And was it, was it for a Pontiac? You know, I wondered, but also isn't isn't Michigan like big Detroit? I'm uh, big Detroit. Isn't Michigan <laughs> isn't Michigan big Ford country? Yeah, I think they do a lot of car manufacturing. I'm sorry for being ignorant to the uh, the facts, but I think they do a lot more than just Ford. Okay, I they did a lot of different cars, but I, I don't know. I I. Obviously, I don't know either. If, if the town's you. called Pontiac, I would assume that they had something to do with it, or else that's just like a weird, funny coincidence. Hang on, we're about to find out because now you've scratched a niche. 
That didn't sound right. Let's do on mic research. Yes, you know, like the professionals we are. Um, some co- yeah. some podcasts do that. So, no, yes and no. So, I'm reading directly from Wikipedia. Purchased by General Motors in 1909, Oakland continued to produce modestly priced automobiles until 1931 when it was renamed Pontiac. It was named after the famous Ottawa chief, who had also given his name to the city of Pontiac, where the car was produced. Oh, So, yes, but like a roundabout way. Okay. Chicken came before egg. Um, Egg came before chicken? Okay. Um, Anyway, anyway, I digress. Meanwhile, his wife, Satanig, fled the Armenian Death March, found refugee, uh, found refugee, Jesus, found refuge with relatives in Paris and eventually reunited with her brother, who was also in Pontiac. So they met through the Armenian community in their city and they got married, had a family, had three kids, blah, blah, blah. The whole deal. Whole deal. But then in the early 1930s, Levon lost his job. And so he began making a living as the owner of an excavating company, which Mm -hmm. he started his own business during the Depression. Like, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's some bootstrap shit. So, while other families were suffering financially, the Kevorkians began living a more comfortable lifestyle. And um, Kevorkian later wrote, quote, My parents sacrificed a great deal so that we children could be spared undue privation and misery. There was always enough to eat. End quote. I feel like that's the, the struggle of lots of immigrant parents. Oh, yeah. American yeah. dream. Yeah. And... The attainability of it is questionable. But, um. Well, like, they prove that if you work hard enough. Oh, yeah. Then, even during In the, the depression, depression you, yeah, you can have a comfortable life. So, basically, folks, now is the time to start your own company right here, right now, in the middle of quarantine. I mean, it is the time for creative pursuits. Like, oh, absolutely. There's a lot of, like, cool, creative things happening. And especially from people who uh, have to kind of pivot what they were doing before. Pivot! Yes, exactly. Um, but people are kind of learning different ways of doing things, which is, I guess, some kind of upside you could take from all this stuff. Yeah. No, I agree. So, moving on, though. So, Jack, obviously, like I said, he was born Murad. He got his name, his nickname, whatever you want to call it, from actually his American friends and his teachers when he started going to school, which to me feels a little icky, but okay. I, I, I think I, I definitely went to, I went to um, elementary school and mostly high school with a very high Asian population and uh, lots of people had like a quote unquote Americanized na- name that they used rather than their given name because it was easier yeah see i mean i did too but my research told me that he didn't he so he didn't pick it he was assigned this name not even assigned it sounds like they were just like okay we're gonna call you jack oh that's what i'm saying he got his name from them and it's not like his name was like jacoby and they're like oh we're gonna call you jack like you you, how does one get Jack from Murad. Yeah, it doesn't really. Yeah. Like, Marty might be close. Like, Murray? Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, either way, that's possibly how he problematic. Jack. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering yeah. because also this wasn't the time where people were consciously choosing Americanized names for themselves. You know what I yeah. mean? And as a kid, I don't know that he would even think to. Yeah. But regardless, um, Jack and all of his siblings, for that matter, did very well academically, but he especially just, like, excelled. Yeah. Uh, he was a voracious reader and a polymath who loved drawing, painting, and playing the piano. Mm-hmm. But along with Jack's academic prowess came a highly critical mind, and so he rarely accepted ideas at face value. So that resulted in a lot of arguments with teachers, um, sometimes to the point that he would humiliate them when they couldn't keep up with how good of a debater he was. He was just a little pain in the ass question everything. He was. He was. Um, So then, but this wasn't just in school. His parents were highly devoted Christians and expected their kids to follow in their footsteps and be highly devoted Christians, go to church every Sunday, the whole nine. Yep. And Jack often (sighs) said things like miracles aren't real um, and would just like talk shit about there being an all-knowing, omniscient, omnipotent God in Sunday school. So he said that if there was a god who could make his son walk on water, he also would have been able to prevent the Turkish slaughter of his entire extended family. I mean, sometimes you just gotta keep your little smart-ass mouth shut. (laughs) I mean, but he does make a point. Like, as a child, how do you argue with that? Because it's like, oh, but your whole family fucking died, so... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there there will be, like, devout religious people that do have, uh... Um, a way to explain that. Yeah. But, like, this kid just seems like kind of a fucking pain in the ass. He reminds me of that kid from the Polar Express. I don't think I've seen The one with the glasses and the yellow pajamas. Everybody else who's seen it knows exactly what I'm talking about, and now that's all they're gonna picture. Alright. So, um, he also debated the idea of God's existence every week until he realized that he wouldn't be able to find an acceptable explanation to his questions from, you know, the Sunday school teachers who are also devout Christians like his parents. Yeah. So he just stopped going to church at the age of 12. Okay. Which... I, I respect your you. uh, decision to choose your own uh, path, but also, Belief, like, yeah. going to Don't Sunday school... Don't shit on ev- others. Yeah, going to Sunday school every week and, like, debating what people, like believe in is kind of like i'm sure though he also wasn't going there to debate i'm sure yeah, his I mean, parents were saying to him you to have there. to go and he's yeah, like but, and then at that yeah. point just like shut your fucking mouth your parents told you to do something no but it's know. like it's like the the typical disney trope where like the kid doesn't want to do something so they act like a little fucker so that their parents make them go back home or take them yeah, out that, of that school that sounds or, like disney to me <laughs> it's it is <laughs> <laughs> the Wonderful World of Disney, starring Jack Kevorkian. So, while his jabs at his elementary school and Sunday school teachers got him admiration from his classmates, learning was so yeah, easy like for Jack. Flicking a goddamn lit cigarette at a Sunday school teacher <laughs> and being like, "I don't think this shit is real." <laughs> and then people are like, "Oh my god, Jack!" 
He's so cool. No. He's such a bad boy. <laughs> but um This is fucking pain in the walking ass. Walking into walking into Sunday school in a leather jacket. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. His a hair boom, like back. A, like one a, of those candy cigarettes behind his ear. Like a boombox on his shoulder <laughs> for no fucking reason. Um, toothpick in his mouth. Ugh. Um but so while they really loved him for being a little shit as often is the case in schools because yeah, they were probably afraid to stand up to like a teacher or something or well and everybody likes to watch when the one student starts shit with yeah, the teacher it's like i'm not it's, getting in trouble but it's I get to free watch entertainment it. yes yeah exactly. um, especially when they're running circles around the fucking teacher let me tell you that shit was a delight when i was in school that was yeah. one of the few refuges i had from high school was no knowing that maybe for me. maybe somebody would talk shit to Ms. Blackwell and she wouldn't know how to respond. Yeah. Um my my high school algebra teacher who sucked, but that's another story for another day. Um so Kevorkian was um promoted to Eastern Junior High School when he was in the sixth grade. And so by the time he was in high school, he had taught himself German and Japanese. Um, Yeah, which like I write it, I wrote it in my notes here. I looked this up. It is said to be one of the hardest, if not the hardest languages to learn, especially for English speakers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So fucking Doogie Hauser over here. And so his classmates soon went from being like, oh, what a bad boy, um, to labeling him as something like, exactly, (laughs) exactly. But like a weird nerd, like a Sheldon nerd. Yeah. And um, so Kevorkian had difficulty making friends as a result. Uh So he kind of also gave up the idea of romantic relationships because he felt that they were a distraction from his studies. Yeah, that's not going to help you be cooler, dude. Nope. Nope. Nope, it's not. But good on him, I guess, because he graduated with honors from Pontiac High School at the age of 17. And yeah, and began to study civil engineering at the University of Michigan College of Engineering. All right. Yeah. So halfway through his freshman year, however, he got bored. And I I know, I wish I could get bored in (sighs) engineering in, you know, an intelligent way. I hate Um, him. I know. We all hate him. (laughs) Some more than others. We'll get into that. Uh Um, But so he began focusing on biology and botany. And by the middle of his second semester of his freshman year, he decided he was going to go to medical school and would take as many as 20 credit hours in a semester so that he could meet the 90-hour medical school requirement. Oof. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's rough. But uh, he graduated with a degree in medicine at the University of Michigan in 1952. And remember, he started college in 1945. So even that, I'm pretty sure he he went a little faster. Hang on. Yeah, because I think it takes eight years to graduate from medical school and all of that jazz. Now it does. I don't mistaken. know if, if oh, stuff that's was true. different back then. That's true. But the way I'm seeing his entire journey being expedited, that wouldn't shock me in the slightest. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um. So he graduated in 1952 with a degree in medicine and began studying a specialty in pathology soon after. Mm-hmm. So then in 1953, the Korean War 
basically put his career on pause. So he served for 15 months as an army medical doctor in Korea and then finished his service in Colorado. You weren't allowed to, um, like, was, I don't, I'm sorry if I sound dumb, no, but fine. you weren't allowed to, uh, not go to the army if you were in school. I thought that was one of the ways you didn't have to go into the uh but army. he's he's doing a, a pathology like he's specialized like he's it's kind of like um a residency oh okay so he's not technically in school oh got it All he's right. learning yeah. but he's not in school all right um or at least that's his i've got one friend who's in medical school right now that's how i take it I could be yeah. very wrong because in case I know this is going to come as a shock, I did not. Medical school wasn't even on the horizon, let's just no, say. Not even a thought. Yeah. Yeah. No. I was too busy trying to sweet talk my way into passing chemistry, which I did. Thank you, Mr. Party, for enjoying all of the doodles I put on my chemistry quizzes and giving me extra credits. Perfect. So oh, it, that man was a gem of a human being. But anyway, he graduated in medicine. He it gets drafted into the Korean War. He goes for 15 months, comes back to Colorado. And so then began serving his residency back in the 1950s in at the University of Michigan and became fascinated by just death. Great. Makes a little bit of sense, like looking back, because he also one of his key. Like tenets of proof that god was not real was the death of all of his family members so yeah, yeah. clearly death was a big part of his life for a long time he also grew up during the depression when lots of people you know fucking were impoverished and starved to death and all that other yeah. fun stuff Whew. but anyway anywho he made regular visits to terminally ill patients he would take photos of their eyes in an attempt to pinpoint the exact moment of death oh creepy yeah, a little bit. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, when you're dying, I feel like you don't want a camera in your face. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, that's not cool. Nah. But anyway, so he felt that doctors could use the information to distinguish death from fainting, shock, being comatose, anything like that, in order to learn when to not resuscitate. Okay. So he later told reporters, quote, but really my number one reason was because it was interesting. And my second reason was because it was a taboo subject, end quote. Two well, things. Well, that's kind of that's the interest in true crime, right? Yeah. Because it's I, taboo and... And just like his whole atheism thing. Not atheism yeah. thing. You know what I mean, though. Yeah. That, like kind of just going against the grain. Anything that someone told him to believe, he kind of wanted to Yeah. look more into the opposite. Yeah, if he was alive today, he would definitely have one of those t-shirts that said, question, authority. Um, yeah. With the little question mark. Remember that when you were like super in your feelings in high school? Because I do. Um, mm -hmm. Not that I was allowed to ever have one. But so oof, we're talking a lot about high school. I got to bring this back. So <laughs> like, I mean, this is a sadistic episode, but I don't want to get that sadistic. So he believed in... <sighs> Basically, that death row prison inmates could be used as subjects of medical experiments while they were still alive. All right, Mangala. Chill yep. out. <laughs> yep. Take, take um, a breather. 
obviously his colleagues did not like that. No. Got a wee bit in a tizzy, but he has never shied away from something that's seen as like taboo, yeah, he, as we if said anything, like a minute he doubles ago. Down. Yes, yes. So he was inspired by research that described medical experiments conducted on Egyptian criminals by the ancient Greeks. And so he formulated the idea that similar modern experiments could not only save valuable research dollars, but also provide a glimpse into the anatomy of the criminal mind. You're basically like doing like not you're doing medical experiments on people. Yeah, I was going to say do when you're dead. But also this is back in the 50s, back back around when Mindhunter is taking place. Like it's close to that time. Yeah. And so he's having this idea as a medical doctor. I find that very interesting. Like if they know. had just if they had just picked him up instead of Ed Kemper, like we could be having a totally different Netflix series right now. Yeah. So many pieces of pop culture would not exist. But anywho, he did not. They did not. We did not. And in 1958, he delivered a paper on the subject to a meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science mm. and was like this is what I think we should do, and this is why. God is dead. So, okay. <laughs> you know, the Kevorkian way. Um, so in a method he called terminal human experimentation, he argued that condemned convicts could provide a service to humanity before their execution by volunteering for painless, which I have in quotes. How can you guarantee that if there's experiments? Uh -uh. You're you're asking. If you're the trying wrong to find Again, out, I didn't go to med school. If you're trying to find out what's going to happen, then you can't guarantee that it's painless. I know this, but he doesn't seem to. I don't know. Um, you on behalf of I know. your subject. This Believe week. me, I know. I'm aware. <laughs> um, but so he felt that they would begin while the or not felt. He said that they would begin while they were conscious, but it would end in them dying so basically any death row inmate they're gonna die anyway yeah. instead of getting lethal injection they would be experimented on yeah um so for his unorthodox experiments and strange proposals jack kevorkian's peers named him or nicknamed him dr death not to be Good. confused with that servant surgeon christopher dunch or the podcast dr death which is about dunch yeah. um but his controversial views also earned him minor media attention at the time, which ultimately resulted him in him getting fired from the University of Michigan Medical Center. So he continued his residency at Pontiac General Hospital instead, where he began another set of controversial experiments after hearing about a Russian medical team who was transfusing blood from corpses into living patients. Ew. Yeah. Ew. I mean, granted... Everybody's all about that organ donation, but something about dead person blood versus living person blood. Yeah. That sounds... sounds yeah. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And yet, this sounds normal to other people, and they won't let the gays donate. But anyway, Whatever. so he enlisted the help of medical technologist Neil Nickel to simulate the same experiments that the Russians were working on. And the results were very successful, and he believed that the procedure could help save lives on the battlefields if, like, blood from a blood bank was unavailable. Yeah. Um, 
And so doctors, he felt, could use his research to transfuse the blood of a corpse into an injured soldier. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it could help, but it still sounds very uh, Dr. Frankenstein. It does. Though at the same time, again, with organ donation, who knows if it's that. What's the word that I'm looking for? Um, far off. Yeah. It's icky to think about, but at the same time, when somebody gets, say, a liver transplant, that liver came from somebody who died, too. Yeah, I'm sure that the first person to suggest organ donation, everyone was like, uh, what? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Doesn't make... I just don't like blood, so believe me, I also think this is gross. Yeah, but I, like I can understand doctor shit. Yeah, I can understand the sentiment behind this. Don't like the doctor shit, like the kid stuff less, so we're going to stick with the doctor shit. All right. Um, Fair enough. But so he pitched his idea to the Pentagon and basically was like, we could use this right now during the Vietnam War. But he was denied a federal grant to continue his research. So instead, the research kind of perpetuated his whole other status, how like nobody wanted to be around him, be friends with him, all yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah. And He's like the bad boy of the medical community. Yep, he scared away his colleagues, and if that wasn't enough, the this whole experimentation shit eventually infected him with hepatitis C. Oh. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. So in the 1960s and 70s, Kevorkian kind of shelved his campaign to engage death for social purposes and pursued kind of a traveling, boring career as a medical pathologist. He kind of just went from place to place to, like, get the work done, keep his nose down, keep keep his, I was thinking keep his nose to the grindstone and keep his head down at the same time. Both of these (laughs) apply. However, keep your nose down doesn't quite fit. Now, does it? Perfect. He kept his nose down. Um... But his friends described him as a funny, gregarious, like, personable person in private. Uh-huh. Um, very engaging, very, like, fun to be around. But all of his coworkers and, like, social situations in which it wasn't, like, them in private, like, his friends and him in private, he was really, like, awkward and, like unpredictable and focused like only on work and not on like sheldon yeah. except he also had a little bit of a, like a anger problem uh-huh um so he just he but he lived very simply didn't eat a lot didn't really buy any luxuries um he got his clothes at the salvation army and basically wore them until they were whole they had holes um like very much just like you're a doctor you can pay for more stuff yeah but he didn't care about that stuff (laughs) like he only cared about his work Mm -hmm. um so he bounced around the country from hospital to hospital and published articles in more than 30 journals um and booklets about his philosophies on death and then ultimately he set up his own clinic near detroit michigan Mm mm-hmm so by 1970, um, Kevorkian, who dated very little to begin with, broke off his engagement after finding his fiance to be lacking in self-discipline. Don't really want to know what that means. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't like that reasoning. Yeah, unless it's like self-discipline is in like she couldn't stop fucking other dudes or women, <laughs> yeah. her preference. But yeah, yeah. the way this all was worded led me to believe, uh, no, I don't think that's it. <laughs> It sounds like you're making excuses up, bruh. It, it sounds like 
I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like that. Uh, yeah, anyway. I was gonna say it doesn't sound good. No. Um. That's that's what it that's what it comes down to. It doesn't sound good. Um, no, I don't like it. Oh, excuse me. But so he broke it off, and he didn't really date as it was. Like she was kind of not the one that got away because he really did not care for that sort of thing. But she was like the one exception. Yeah, yeah. Um, he really, he had nothing to do with any other women, bef- like, before or after. He never married. Um, yeah, and then, he wasn't really interested in that part of life, I guess. Yeah, exactly. He, again, more focused on his work. Didn't care yeah. about personal relationships, didn't care about fancy cars, clothes that, you know, didn't have holes in them and shit like that. Yeah. But, um, ultimately, his clinic failed. And in 1976, he basically got bored with the whole medicine thing and moved to Long Beach, California from, again, Detroit, Michigan, Uh and spent 12 years painting, writing, producing an unsuccessful film about Handel's Messiah and researching for his death row campaign, which he was like, "Okay, I'm going to focus on this again. Wow. Yep. So he supported himself part time with two pathology positions at different hospitals. And these jobs also ended quickly because Kevorkian ultimately quit in another argument with the chief pathologist. And he claimed that his career was doomed by physicians who were afraid of his ideas. Mm. I mean, I can everyone, see that, but... If everyone is saying no... <laughs> it's probably not a good idea. Do everyone is wrong? Or maybe you need to re-examine some stuff. You know, it's a good it's a good question, but yet we still have people thinking five G is causing the coronavirus. So I mean, oh, I can see how it would be difficult to accept. Yeah. So by 1982, Kevorkian was alone, unemployed, sleeping in his car from time to time, and living off of canned food and social security. So. All right. Yep. Then in 1985, he went back to Michigan and wrote a comprehensive history of experiments on executed humans, which was published in the Journal of the National Medical Association after a lot more well-known journals rejected it. And Mm. in 1986, he discovered a way to expand his proposal about experimenting on death row um, inmates when he learned that doctors in the Netherlands were helping people die by lethal injection. So then began his new crusade for assisted suicide, and that became an extension of his campaign for the medical experiments on the dying. So he began Mm -hmm. writing new articles, but this time it was about the benefits of euthanasia. Not to be confused with youth in Asia, which I told that. Did I tell that joke to you? I told that joke to somebody the other day, and they, they had never heard. I was like, you never saw that post going around? Where that one kid wrote an entire PowerPoint on youth in Asia when he was supposed to write about youth in Asia. I did see that, yes. And that's what I'm saying. But whoever I was talking to had never seen it and thought this was like the most creative thing I had ever said. And I was like, well, listen, I don't know how to tell you this, but this ain't mine. Yeah. Um, I could I could have gone with that, though. But I was like, mm, no. So regardless, Kevorkian followed up his papers with the creation of a suicide machine that he called the Thanatron, which is literally Greek for instrument of death. but apparently he took time to learn greek too now he's like how many languages in dude Um, like make it like 
a little less sinister. Yeah. Like but, people already think you're like death crazy. Like yeah. try to try to chill a little bit. Though to be fair, I wonder how many people because I'm sure he wasn't going around being like, by the way, the name of my machine is called the instrument of death in Greek. Alright. Like, I mean, I'm sure people f- like figured it out. Yeah, but it's like how JK Rowling names certain potions Latin names for like whatever and yeah. Nobody thinks anything of it until somebody points it out and they go, oh, that's yeah, but also these are like These are like people in the medical profession. That's true. And there's like a lot of like... Um, Smart people. Yeah. There's a Not lot of things that are, that are used in, uh, in Latin. Yeah. So I'm sure people kind of caught on to that a little quicker than a regular person would. I don't know. It's all Greek to me, so. <laughs> so, but what is impressive about the machine is that he assembled it out of only $45 worth of materials. So, again, a regular that frugalty and that frugalty makes an appearance again. Yep. So, it's basically, it consisted of three bottles that delivered a succession of doses of fluids. So, first it was a saline solution, followed by a painkiller. And then a fatal dose of potassium chloride. Mm-hmm. So using this design, patients who were ill could even administer the, do- the dose to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so after years of rejection from national medical journals and media outlets, Kevorkian finally became the focus of national attention for his machine and his proposal to set up a franchise of obitoriums where doctors could help the terminally ill end their lives. So, So here's a quick thing. Okay. Uh, as somebody who has a terminally ill person in their life, mm. I would say that I am not against someone who uh, chooses assisted suicide because seeing someone deteriorate is fucking horrible. Oh, yeah. And if the person of sound mind and body decided, I don't want to go this way, I know I only have X amount of time to live and i don't want that time to be in pain or uh without my mind or all this other stuff like they should be able to choose that option so it's not like i'm not against anything he's i mean he's a little unhinged a little like (laughs) off the rails uh in his past and all the other stuff that he wants to that he wants to research and fund but I don't think assisted suicide is, like, a super radical idea. Like, it, it should be an option for people in a very specific position. I mean, it shouldn't be available to just, like, anybody. Right. <laughs> but right. but people, like... If you there's can be, no other option, I can see yeah, what you're you saying. Yeah, you can be um, prescribed, like, hospice, which yeah. is end-of-life care. So why wouldn't you be able to be prescribed uh, this as an option instead? And I think there are some places that you can choose this. There are. Um, I think Oregon. Yes, Oregon is one of them. We're going to get into that, please. <laughs> okay. Um, but also, other there, there's other countries. Um, yeah. Like, for example, Canada. 
three years yeah. ago, four years ago, legalized voluntary euthanasia. And physician-assisted suicide is also legal there. Um, yeah. The Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg. Um, I think New Jersey, you can if you are diagnosed, like, uh, like you have, it's either four or six months to live. I think there's some, like, extremely long process you have to go through. But if you have, if you're diagnosed four to six months to live, then it can become an option for you. Yes. I'm pretty um, sure. Yes, it's less than six months to live, because that was just last year. I think it was, like, last July? Oh, really? It was that recent? It was recent, yeah. Um, wow. Girl, what do you mean, was that recent? I you don't, I don't even live where you live, and I know this. Well, you did the research. This is true. This is fair. This is accurate. <laughs> okay, never mind. I take it back. Um, but, yeah, basically, physician-assisted suicide was legal. Um, it's it's yeah. legal in eight states. Um, but regardless, anyway, so in 1990, Kevorkian assisted the suicide of, in the suicide of his first patient, Janet Adkins. Um, she was an Oregon teacher who suffered from Alzheimer's and was also a member of the Hemlock Society, which is an organization that advocates for voluntary euthanasia for terminally ill patients. Um, she was part of this society before she even was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Oh, Okay. Um, but after her diagnosis, she began looking for somebody who would end her life before she would be too far gone um, yeah. with, with her disease. I um, 100% uh, agree with somebody who wants to uh, go through with something like that, especially f like having seen somebody go through like Alzheimer's and dementia, like it is terrifying. And not just for, like, the people watching, but, like, obviously the person who's going through it, like... Yeah. They just think they're slowly losing their mind. And... Right. It's horrifying. And if you don't want to go through with that, then you should be able to have this option. I know, I know yeah, I'm repeating myself, right. but, like... No, but it's... Yeah. Uh, no, but it's... It stands to be said. But, yeah, um, the fact that, that medical professionals would be like, no, you're forced to live like this for however long it takes, and we're going to do everything in our power to uh medically make you a vegetable <laughs> so you can just sit around and forget who you are and everybody in your life yeah i yeah. mean it, it, again it makes sense um but she heard about the suicide machine through the media and contacted kevorkian about using it on her so he agreed and they did it in a public park inside his van, his Volkswagen van, which oh. that sentence is going to get taken out of context later. Um, so he <laughs> attached the IV to her, but she administered her own painkiller and the poison. Yeah, so, I, don't, I don't think, like, I think everyone should choose how they want to go, but I don't think I'd want to go in, like, a van in a park. I mean, the way I'm picturing it, though, is she's outside surrounded by nature. The equipment is in the van. Okay, I guess that's... Like, that's how my you, uncle's dog kind of was euthanized. So I think that might be why I'm picturing that. I just don't think it should... I I'm not think, saying that's equal. I'm not, but... I don't think every single person should just be able to just, like, die in public. That's kind of... Yeah, no, I understand. Weird. And, and believe there's, there's me, there's other people involved in this. So like, you're not alone there because sh so she died of heart failure within five minutes of the of being dosed. Okay. Um, and then 
the media outlets got wind of this. And so Kevorkian simultaneously became a celebrity and a criminal. And Mm -hmm. the state of Michigan immediately charged him with her murder. And the case was later dismissed, but due to Michigan's, but, or the case was later dismissed, um, but it wasn't because of anything except for Michigan couldn't quite decide whether or not assisted suicide should be legal. Yeah, because it never come up before because it was like a new thing. Yeah. Uh, um, Assisted suicide, euthanasia, all that wasn't really legalized until the early 2000s in that like beginning to be legalized. Yeah. Um, for the most part. I believe I believe Oregon legalized it. We'll talk about that later. Wait a minute. Never yeah. mind. Um, I'm shushing myself. <laughs> so then in early 1991, a Michigan judge issued an injunction barring Kevorkian's use of the suicide machine. And that same year, they the, the state suspended his license to practice medicine. Mm. But it didn't really stop him from continuing to assist with suicides. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was unable to get the medication because his medical license was revoked yeah, to yeah. use the Thanatron. So he assembled a new machine, which he called the Mercitron. Oh, God. <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. Which Ugh. just delivers carbon monoxide through a gas mask. So it's like a uh, new age version of locking yourself in the garage with the car running. Uh, the next, this, the next this seems year, less medically okay. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Shouldn't have taken his license away, huh? Yeah, um, then he had to go to extreme measures. Yep. But that same year, or no, the next year, excuse me, um, Michigan passed a bill outlawing assisted suicide, and basically it was written with Kevorkian in mind. Yeah. <laughs> it all but said, Jack Kevorkian, you can't do Stop this. Stop doing what you're doing. Yes. Um, so as a result, Kevorkian was put in jail twice that year. Uh, he was bailed out by his lawyer, Jeffrey Fieger, who helped him escape conviction by successfully arguing that a person may not be found guilty of criminally assisting a suicide if they administered the medication with the, quote, intent to relieve pain and suffering, end quote, even if it did increase the risk of death. So he's basically saying you would not charge a doctor with murder if they accidentally overdosed a patient yeah or if if they gave the person medication because they were in pain and that medication in turn like is what killed him accidentally stopped their heart like if they like had a heart attack and there was complications you wouldn't say that the doctor killed the person it was right or if they decided not to resuscitate somebody yeah yeah exactly but um so he was prosecuted a total of four times in michigan for assisted suicide and in three of the cases he was acquitted and in the fourth a mistrial was declared so kevorkian was disappointed um he told the reporters that he wanted to be imprisoned in order to shed light on the hypocrisy and corruption of society Uh (sighs) uh-huh buddy you're digging a hole he wanted to be like a martyr yeah yeah he picked something up in sunday school apparently yeah but um, in 1997, lawmakers in Oregon, um, which is, again, where um, Janet Atkins was assisted in from. her suicide, yeah, yes, yeah. 
approved a statute making it legal for doctors to prescribe lethal medications to help terminally ill patients end their lives. And Mm -hmm. then in 2006, the United States Supreme Court upheld a lower court ruling that found that Oregon's Death with Dignity Act protected assisted suicide as a legitimate medical practice. Yeah, I like that they put it death with dignity. Like that. Yeah. That sounds better than assisted suicide. Yes. Or euthanasia. Both of them are very like. Like scary terms. Yeah, like very cold and very technical. And it's more than that. It's like, for example, hospice care. Yeah. Has a nice like feeling to or like assisted living. Yeah. Um, But regardless. So, in 1998, Michigan legislature enacted a law making assisted suicide a felony, punishable by a maximum five-year prison sentence or a $10,000 fine. So, they went in the complete opposite direction of Oregon. Yeah. Um, they also closed Kevorkian's loophole that caused the past three trials to get to end in acquittals. Uh-huh. Um, but he continued to assist patients and... Meanwhile, the courts continued to pursue him on criminal charges, and he wasn't really one to stand down from a challenge. That may come as a shock, yeah. but he just kind of kept on going and was even more fueled by this. So, in 1998, he allowed CBS to air a tape he had made of the lethal injection of Thomas Uke on 60 Minutes. Ooh. Uke was a 52-year-old accountant in the final stages of Lou Gehrig's disease who oh. requested Kevorkian to help him because at that point in his disease, most of his muscles were paralyzed and he was afraid, like, everybody's afraid of death, or at least most people are, but yeah. he was specifically terrified that he was just going to die from choking on his own saliva. And that's not a way you want to go. See, that's the other thing, too. Like, he wants to choose, like, you can choose to be surrounded by, yeah, you could choose to be surrounded by your friends and family when you can actually, like, say goodbye. Yeah. So, but on the recording, here's the the thing. On the recording, Kevorkian pushed the button to help administer the drugs for Mm. Uke because, according to Kevorkian, he he was too paralyzed. Yes, he was too paralyzed to do it himself. So after the broadcast footage, Kevorkian spoke to 60 Minutes reporters and dared the courts to pursue him legally because, again, he's all about that martyr life, apparently. And I'm like, yo, (sighs) don't poke the bear because the bear will snap. See, here's Um, the other thing, too. Like, I I can agree with uh, some. some of the stuff that he's doing, but also, like, I don't know if he's... It doesn't feel like he's doing it for the right reasons. No! <laughs> like, it doesn't feel like he's doing it because he deeply cares about people who are uh, at the end of their life and have no other options. Yeah, it doesn't feel empathetic so much as technical. He's trying to prove calculated. something. Well, that yeah, too, yeah. 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 Um, but, so, <laughs> it's funny he should say that because then Oakland County District Attorney David Gorsica took notice of this and later told Inside Edition, quote, he went on 60 Minutes and basically baited me to prosecute him. The whole issue of assisted suicide was set aside by him. It was all about Dr. Kevorkian and what he was doing. Medical experts thought it was a mockery, end quote. Yeah. So this time, Kevorkian got charged with second-degree murder. 
Yeah, because he pressed the button and exactly. it was on TV. He pulled the lever, Kronk. Yeah. So Kevorkian took a page out of Bundy's book and decided to serve as his own legal counsel. Oh, great. Because we've seen that work before. Only works Smarty in big pants, little lies. No yep. So at the trial, he failed to convince the judge that his proposed witnesses, which included um, Yuke's wife and brother, were relevant to his defense. Mm-hmm. And aside from the videotape, which showed how much he was suffering, Yuke was suffering when he was alive, there was no testimony that could be presented about his condition and his desire to end his life. Because he never signed anything? Apparently not. And then the two people that were going to be brought forward to be like, yep, he wanted to die. Judge was like, nope. Wow. Can't bring him forward as witnesses. So that seems that seems weird because like you'd think like they're pretty important people in this case. Yeah, but apparently not, according to the judge. Um, And because the charges were murder charges this time. Uh, Judge Jessica Cooper instructed the jury that the issue of whether or not you consented to his death was irrelevant. Okay. Which is why the two witnesses were not allowed to speak and all right, all that jazz. So then on March 26, 1999, a jury in Oakland County convicted Jack Kevorkian of second degree murder and the illegal delivery of a controlled substance. The following month, he was sentenced to 25 years in prison with the possibility of parole, and the reaction to the verdict was mixed. Uh, The Hemlock Society, which is a chief proponent of doctor-assisted suicide, said, quote, This verdict is not about Dr. Kevorkian and the videotape. This verdict is about the contempt that the government has for people like Thomas Uke and other patients who are suffering painful deaths every day. This verdict is about the government's refusal to give dying patients and their families reasonable choices at the end of life. End quote. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Diane Coleman, who is the president of a leading grassroots disability rights group called Not Dead Yet, said... The euthanasia movement was, quote, very threatening to a disabled person, end quote, and that she hoped Michigan's ban on assisted suicide would be maintained and would spread federally. Um, Furthermore, the president of the American Medical Association, Dr. Nancy W. Dickey, said, quote, patients in America can be relieved that the guilty verdict against Dr. Jack Kevorkian helps protect them from those who would take their lives prematurely, end quote. So... I just, I mean, it's obviously something that needs to be, like, strictly regulated, and you yes. should have to, like, go through a lot to um, to have that process done. Right. But it should be, I, I, it's the same debate as, like, abortions. Like, it's not your life. Like, are, are you going to raise this 12-year-old's baby? Like, this is ruining or somebody's life. are you going to care for this person when they're choking on their own saliva yeah and like god forbid like like yeah he has uh he had lou gehrig's disease and like god forbid he went the way he was fearing in front of like his children or like his grandchildren or uh, like a close family member that's gonna fuck that person up yeah like there's other people involved i can see yeah Yeah. he he wouldn't want that uh that situation or like have that be the last thing people think of Right. Like that like their memory. Like it's the same thing as um as like um when Jack 
uh, Kevorkian went to uh, Sunday school and he's like shitting on people for for their religion. It's like, you believe what you want to believe, but don't shove that shit on me. Like, well, because yeah. I'm... No, but like if I'm a religious person and you come in to my house of worship and say like, this is, you're wrong because X, Y, Z. And I'm going to like explain to you how wrong you are. It's like, you can have your opinion, but like, don't come here. <laughs> it's like, yeah. if you don't want to have an abortion, then don't have one. And if you don't want uh, to have assisted suicide, then don't do it. Like, well, I, I think- just, I just don't understand that, that debate. It's like, why is the, why does there have to be a whole society of people? It's like, we are against this thing. But I will say, I think that it's, it also brings up the argument again of separation between church and state. Yeah. Because a lot of the reasons behind euthanasia are religious. being disapproved are religious or that it's, yes. it's not your place. You're, it's, a, it's like you're taking on God and you're playing God. And I can see, I, I can, I can understand both sides because on, at, we talked about this a little bit last week. There are people who have, for example, jumped off bridges and those who have survived, pretty much all of them were like on my way down. I was like, Oh fuck, what have I done? I don't yeah, want to do I, this. I, I want to live. I wouldn't think that that would be the last thoughts of somebody who was in the final stages of like brain cancer. Yeah. I, and like, I, I, I can understand that, but I'm just, I'm Haley. I'm trying to keep us from getting people coming after us. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I'm like open to hearing the debate, but if your debate is just like, because religion, that's not, that's a debate for you. That's not a debate for me. That doesn't apply to me because I don't believe in whatever religion that is. Right. Right. So, like, you'd have to make a debate that actually would pertain to my life to, like, sway my decision. But if I got to the point of uh, dementia or Alzheimer's and I was told, like, this is what your your end of life is going to be like, and I chose not to uh, have my end be like that, then I would choose assisted suicide or uh, death with dignity because death of dignity it's my just life. has a nice ring to it yeah it just I sounds should, cute i should be able it's to not, choose that <laughs> death is decidedly not cute but it just sounds so nice no not death, it just sounds but just the, the, I, I don't know if it's like the alliteration of it but no it's like some people get to die of like old age like in their bed or like they get to or they're in a hospital and like you know it's like the last few moments like some people get like a death where they can be surrounded by family and loved ones and why shouldn't you be able to choose that instead of being terrified that you're going to choke on your own saliva Mm -hmm. like makes sense no it makes sense I mean, it's it's like a whole argument. So like, it is a whole I argument. I know. I know. It's but just that's like, what we're talking about. It's, it's the like whole hard argument. getting. It's like hard getting into it, but it's like. But it needs to be discussed. Uh, it's it is yeah, something that yeah. needs to be addressed. We can't just close our eyes and stick our fingers. Yeah, it's in not our going ears away. And pretend it's not happening. Yes. Yeah, people are going to be dying forever so i thought you were gonna say people are gonna be dying to talk about this and i was like no choice of words i was like a pun (laughs) Uh, i was like "Mm, let's not but 
but yeah i mean this is never going to go away and i think there will always be arguments for and arguments against yeah no i agree um whew, we we tangented um is that Sorry. a word is that a word um <laughs> we tangented um so during the three years following kevorkian's conviction he attempted to appeal the verdict in court but his request was refused and his lawyers sought to bring the case to the supreme court but that request was also declined so youth was the uke not youth my bad youth in asia um Yuke in Asia. I'm done. Um, he was the last of Kevorkian's approximately 130 assisted suicide patients. Mm. So on June 1st, 2007, after serving a little over eight years of his sentence, Kevorkian was released from prison on good behavior. And again, he's a former doctor, so he can't really do much. But yeah. he did promise not to assist in any more suicides. Uh, basically... He was also released because he was suffering from liver damage because of the advanced stages of his hepatitis C. So, oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, forgot about the hep C. <laughs> so doctors suspected that he didn't really have much time left to live anyway. But he, against all odds, he got better and started touring and speaking about a suicide as a public speaker. Okay. So then on March 12, 2008, he announced his plan to run as an independent candidate for a seat in Congress for Michigan. He Whoa, didn't win the election. This. I know. Well, it's only Michigan. Maybe that's why. Because oh, we're, okay. we're, it's, this is in Michigan, not only Michigan, but we were both on the East Coast during this time. I know, but I feel like, I feel like, he, like he was big news. So I feel like anything that had to do with him would have, like, made more of a headline that I probably would have heard about. I mean, I do vaguely remember him being in the headlines growing up. I don't. I don't know why. Right. You just get on my true crime level, Haley. Come on. I, I, uh, definitely knew the, I definitely knew the name and I knew, like, facts about him, but I don't remember, like, ever hearing the news talk about him. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, maybe it was my parents. Maybe. I grew up Catholic. That could also very well be it, because let me yeah. tell you, euthanasia is, like, right up there with abortion and feminism in terms of, like, terrible things in the church. Um, yeah. So, on March 12, 2008, he decided he was running for, announced he was running for president, for, God, president. <laughs> yep, I've, I've got, because I've, I've got fucking Joe Exotic in my head now. Yeah. Um, but he didn't win the election. However, he got 2.6% of the vote. Which is more right. than I think I would have expected. Yeah. Um, and then on June 3rd, 2011, at the age of 83, he died at Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak, Michigan. Um, he'd been hospitalized there for about two weeks with kidney and heart problems before his death. Nothing that I could find said whether or not his death was an assisted suicide. So I'm going to ah. go ahead and believe that it was natural causes hepatitis i mean yes and the hepatitis was caused unnaturally but my point is he didn't push a button no 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 yes also um, i think that was the night of my prom <laughs> she remembers that but she doesn't remember anything about jack kevorkian okay yeah um, i don't know why <laughs> oh i love you you're an enigma <laughs> we were um, talking about high school shit i think that was that's probably that was what it is 
that's what it is. That's why I never remember him in the news because that was a prom. That's that's all those years from 2007 until 2011. You were uh-huh. just at prom, pretty much. Um, but to get into the pop culture side of things, in 2010, HBO released a film about Kevorkian's life called "You Don't Know Jack," which is how I became aware of him because hello, I was uh-huh. an aspiring film buff thing person. Um, uh-huh. And so this movie was directed by Barry Levinson and starred Al Pacino as Kevorkian. And it also featured Susan Sarandon and John Goodman. So a pretty good cast for a TV yeah, I re- movie. Yeah, I remember this movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's also, let's be real. The title is clever. But anyway. Fantastic title. Yeah, wonderful title. Say. So like, good. Oscar for the title alone. Yep. Um, and speaking of... The so Pacino won an Emmy and a Golden Globe for his portrayal of Dr. Kevorkian. And in his acceptance speech at the Emmys, he said he had been grateful to, quote, try to portray someone as brilliant and interesting and unique, end quote, as Dr. Kevorkian. And Kevorkian was actually in the audience. (gasps) And he kind of people that obviously they pan to him because of course you fucking do and he just kind of smiled and was like yes thank you wow it me um yeah but the movie has a 7.6 out of 10 on imdb and 88 percent google score nice and a rotten tomatoes tomato meter score of 91 percent Wow, very yeah, good. With an audience we score. We rarely get those. We rarely get those, and we rarely get we, the, the Rotten Tomatoes get 6%. score. We usually get 6%, and usually the Rotten Tomatoes score is higher than the Google, uh, lower than the Google score by like yes. at least 50%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, and even the audience score was 83%. Yeah. So, so that's pretty, kind that's of pretty impressive. Universally loved. <laughs> As universally loved as a movie about assisted suicide can be. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so the critics' consensus was, quote, led by a strong direction from Barry Levinson and outstanding work from Al Pacino, You Don't Know Jack makes compelling viewing out of real-time drama, end quote. All right. Which, yeah. that agree. That'll do, pig. That'll do. Um. And if you are interested in watching the movie, you can rent it on Prime. Um, I, th- I also saw, apparently, like, you can rent it other places. Like, I think Voodoo was one of them, but I just figured the biggest one that I could recognize was Prime. So Yeah, you, you can rent a lot of stuff on YouTube now, too. You so. can, yes. So you might be able to find it somewhere like that. Hell, it might be on HBO, like the HBO apps, for all I know. Yeah, I don't got that rich person money. I am also living a bare bones life like Dr. Kevorkian, except it's not out of choice. Um, It's because I decided not to go to medical school and to major in film instead. Mm -hmm. Um, But in my opinion, the most important piece of pop culture related to Kevorkian. Remember how I said earlier that he was a polymath? Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well... Well, he wrote some interesting little ditties back in the day. No. Yes. Um, one of his most well-known titles is Suicide Machine. Stop it. Which was released on an EP 
sharing the same name in 1992 and featured other songs such as Aftermath. And you can find those songs on YouTube. That's incredible. I wish I, we could play stuff on this podcast. but I know. I know. It's also, amazing. I, I don't know if it counts as pop culture or not, but if you even just Google Jack Kevorkian, actually, like, you know how you Google William Shakespeare. I'm not saying that this man is Shakespeare. Um, if uh-huh. you Google William Shakespeare, if you Google... Sandra Day O'Connor. If you Google, if you Google somebody prominent, like big quotes come up, yeah. Obama, things like that. That happens for him too, actually. Like Google has that whole thing where they do quotes. Like it's not like Goodreads or something like that. Like it's actual. Like Google has like a little tab for it, and yeah. there's a ton of like quotes from him, which I found very interesting. That people thought that was a big deal. Yeah. Um. But in addition to that, he released one album. It is called A Very Still Life. Oh, my God. He released it on May 27th, 1997. So, let me see. Right after his birthday. Yeah, the day after his birthday. Cute. Happy birthday. Here's your <laughs> album. Um, and <laughs> it was a limited release. I would expect it to be. Well, wait. Only 5,000 copies were issued. But Entertainment Weekly reviewed it. Whoa. And called it, quote, weird, end quote, <laughs> but, quote, good natured, end quote. Wow. That's an amazing review. Yeah. However, as of 1997, 1,400 units have been sold. All right. Yes. Tight. Yeah. Which, I'm, again, like, you know what? I, I guess I don't know Jack because I wouldn't have expected that from him. No, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Like, oh, we're talking about you being an enigma. But yeah, so that is the story. Well, that's the story of Jack of Orkin, And now you do know Jack. Oh, hey. Hey. All right. It's time for us to go. Also, there has to be like a bunch of books written about him, too. Oh, there have. But I just, yeah, yeah. I uh, I was getting to a point in my research that like, it was. You can it go was, down a thick rabbit hole with this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I just, I was like, I need to keep this to a bit of a minimum. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. Yeah, so if you're interested in more stuff, I'll try to post a bunch of stuff on the website and um, you can do your own research into this. Yeah. I, th- I, feel like, yeah. I feel like Kurt Vonnegut or Jack Kerouac or somebody in that field wrote a book about him. I vaguely remember that being a thing. That's interesting. Or like referencing him or something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, just, yeah. He's definitely just, referenced a lot. Just like yeah yeah just just dr kevorkian things oh yeah just jack kevorkian things so that's that that is that and like i said uh you can go to the website which is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com and there you can find all of the links to our social media we're on facebook instagram twitter uh we also have a patreon that you can donate to and um we also have an email that i keep forgetting to say at the end it's <laughs> crimeculturepod at gmail.com so if you want to email us case suggestions just saying hi pictures of your cat um, please you can do that there 
I'm down. All right. Yeah. I hope everyone's having a good uh, quarantine mm. and staying safe. And whoever's an essential worker, you are Thank an angel you. on earth. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm talking delivery drivers, um, uh, hospital, hospital workers. workers. Oh, hey, look at us. First responders. Uh, first responders, yeah. Uh, police and fire and mm-hmm. um, grocery um, store y- workers. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> People just, working in the grocery store right now literally have been like a godsend. Like, yeah, they're on top of their shit and dealing with the worst of humanity. <laughs> um, yeah, all of our delivery drivers have just been like the nicest people. Thank God I have not had to interact with anybody uh, in emergency services because everybody has been good and healthy on our front. Um but all the essential workers that I've had to interact with in the past like month have just been the best people on the entire planet. And we're very, very thankful. And hopefully, uh, if you are one of those people, you are taking your um, mental and physical health very seriously during mm-hmm. this time. And we love you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that. Yeah. All right. So we will see you next week. Are you fucking kidding me? What? We'll see you next Tuesday. <sighs> Fine. We'll see you next yeah. Tuesday. Get back. Whoa. That's not nice. Bye. Bye. Bye.